Hello, hello, and welcome to Everybody's Bad With Money, where we share stories and get real about personal finance. We make money talk fun. I'm Amelie. And I'm AJ. And we are so jazzed to talk about this really important subject that is actually both near and dear to our hearts. And uh, I'm so excited to dive in. But first, Amelie, how are you? I am... A little stressed out and just like, I don't know, just a little sad. I have a lot of stuff going on with some health issues with my family and extended family. And yeah, just, I'm just like, meh. Yeah. Yeah. When did you start feeling meh? Because there's a new moon and an eclipse. So I wonder if oh, I know related. I was, oh, I know. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm aware. Newman yesterday was in Sagittarius, which is very interesting. But um, yeah, pro- like yesterday, I actually had like a really good weekend. Frankie and I went to a wreath making class that was outdoors. Oh, you made like, Frankie go with you? That's no, what- he wanted to go. They posted in our elevator and we, we were both like, we need to get out of the house. Like, what can we do that's COVID friendly? And then we were like, well, there's this class through our apartment building. Like, let's just go. Um, but that was pretty fun just to like do something different. So like decent weekend. And then we've been like tracking this health issue for a couple of weeks now, but just today it got much worse. Oh. So just fucking sucks, man. This, this year has been a year of loss for me and my family and just the people in my life. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yep. It was also the year of loss for me and my fiance, even before COVID, especially Mm -hmm. before COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yep. Yeah. That's tough, you know. Yeah. I saw a New York Times article where they were saying that the word for this year was grief. It's really interesting. Grieving. I've thought about that word and, and concept a lot in my life because in my early 20s, when I decided I didn't want to be an actress, the only way that I could describe how I felt was grief. I was like, I feel like something in me died and I have to grieve it. And I realized in, in our culture, we don't, we don't have a concept of grief. Like we, and I think lots of religions do. Um, and, and like a, a ritual around grief. Um, we don't have that. And so, and I also think like, we're expected not to feel grief. Like we're expected to move on and feel sad or like, but then we don't know how to cope. So like everybody's either like internalizing and like holding it in, which isn't healthy. And then, or they're like, they can't move on with their lives. Like when my grandfather died, like the way that my mom reacted was just so strange to me because he was 80 and like, he was 88 actually. Wow. And he had lived a wonderful, beautiful life, you know, and he, I miss him every day. His artwork is all over my house. Like he was an instrumental part in who I am, but I, it's like the passing of time. He was 88. Like right. time had passed. He, he spent the last like three years of his life sleeping 20 hours a day. Yeah. Um. So I just didn't get it because it's not, I was thinking, I think about that a lot, like that whole concept that we just, um, we, when something dies too soon, that's, I think when really the the healing needs to be there, but there needs to be a level of acceptance when people die at their natural 
time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's actually the whole, like, I, the whole concept of death is like really interesting to me and something that like, not that many people want to talk about with me, which is really interesting. Like in our, Mm. in our culture specifically in like Western and even specific, even more specifically the, the culture of the U S because even in France, I feel like they have a healthier relationship with death from my experience with my grandparents and stuff. But, um, in the U S we're like not taught how to grieve and not expect like we are expected as a culture to feel like happy and or at least like content most of the time and if you feel sad or if you feel like a negative emotion you're not even supposed to share that there's like this weird thing even when people ask you like how you are in the U.S. you're supposed to respond with I'm fine like you're not supposed to burden people with how you actually are Um, And in other cultures, like even Russia, for example, like you don't sugarcoat things like you say how you feel there's no. um, And it's really interesting, actually, the reason for that is because I'm going to butcher this, but it's like actually really interesting. So uh, this is like a fact check. The reason for that culture in Russia is because I actually got this from Mark Manson's book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which I reread like every couple months because it's one of my favorites. But he talks about how in Russia, there's uh, they needed to have a culture of trust because there was so, so there were so many issues with like politics and communism and all this shit going down in the country that trust became such an essential asset that they cut out all the bullshit and like they have a culture based on honesty so that you can figure out who you can trust like really really quickly and they don't they don't have like the social niceties that we have in the US. And because the US is more of a capitalist culture and um, you really get ahead through like being a salesperson and like pitching yourself and getting people to like you and that's what our culture is based on, then we have this expectation that we're supposed to be happy and cover up our feelings. And so it's like, then when you go through something, you go through a loss, you're like, you don't even know what to do with yourself because you're not taught to grieve and you're supposed to bounce back quickly. Like, people at work and in your life don't want to hear you grieving for the most part. It's just such, it's so interesting. And then also I haven't really shared this on the podcast and we'll dive into it more, but I went through a really life-changing health experience when I was 12. I had cancer. And I think like from a pretty young age, when you're faced with death that head on, I'm just like not scared of talking about it anymore. Like something shifted in me and I'll talk about it with anybody. I'm not afraid to think about it. Like I'm pretty comfortable with my own death. Not so much with other people. Like my thinking of my parents dying is like really overwhelming for me, but like my own death, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'll talk about it. Like it doesn't bother me like other people, but some people like can't think about it. It destroys them. And it's like, we need, I I truly think that coming to terms with your own death and like realizing that life is not forever is actually what will make you have a good life and make the most of your time. Yeah. I mean, that's in like the yoga, you know, the highest form of enlightenment is accepting and radically understanding your own death. And yeah. Isn't like Shavasana supposed to be a, um, or meditation is supposed to be like, a um, practice for your death and letting go. Um, and that I've heard that that could be. Yeah. I mean, it is called corpse pose. Yeah. Um, I've never, I've never heard that, but I don't see why that couldn't be like a philosophy about that pose. I mean, all yoga is about is letting go, right. It's, 
is letting go of the control, the worry, the anxiety so that you can be fully present. Um, um, but real quick, like what kind of cancer did you have? Thyroid. Wow. They told me there was a one in a million chance that I would have cancer. And then I did. Aha. Uh-huh. Aren't you special? I know. I'm like, actually, I am really fucking special. I'm really special. I'm really special. I got that cancer. Yeah, although it certainly didn't feel, it's not like good special. (laughs) But um, what's actually crazy, full circle, bringing it back to Russia, I got probably got cancer because of Chernobyl because I grew up in France and there was a huge increase in thyroid cancer in young boys and girls and whoever, um, during that time period, because typically thyroid cancer happens in like 50 plus women. That's the most common demographic. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank God you're here to tell the tale. Yeah. It was meant to be. I wasn't meant to die. It wasn't my time. No, it was not your time. Could Uh, be tomorrow. Could be today. Who knows? Oh gosh. (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) I hope it's not tomorrow or today. Not ready yet. For a very long time. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite books is the five people you meet in heaven. And I've read it. Oh, that's Frankie's favorite book. Oh, is it? That's so <laughs> sweet. I've read it yeah. like 40 times um, in my life. And I used to give it to my friends and I'd have like, like I'd write stuff in it or mm-hmm. I'd, you know, I love writing in books and like my friends would give it back to me with other quotes that they wrote in it. And, oh, that's nice. It's like yeah. sisterhood of the traveling pants, but with a book. Yeah. It was just such a wonderful way to think about life that you, that, um, that you have second chances even afterwards. Yeah. All life has meaning and everything's interconnected. I love yeah. That. I mean, I truly believe that. I'm looking at it right now. It's right in front of me. <laughs> wow. Love that. Um, but yeah. So, so AJ, how are you? Um, so I kind of hit on it in like what feels like an hour ago in our conversation. Um, <laughs> Cause we, I loved the spiral we went down um, about presence. Um, and I am a puppy mom of eight days. We got her two, you know, not this Sunday, the previous Sunday. And um, it has been a real like excavation of self. And it really is the reminder that your children, even though she's not my child, she's a dog, but like your children are the teachers and you are the student um, because I've had to like really face myself in ways that I haven't um, had to in a while. And it's like really confronting, but like in a wonderfully humble way. Can you explain more? That's so interesting. Yeah. So like, okay. So like a couple, so my best friend, Brittany was here for the first week that we had her. And so it was like me, Brittany and Brett. And like, I really want her to like love me the most. And I noticed like immediately like feelings of jealousy and insecurity Mm -hmm. of like oh my god does she love me the most does she love them more than me and I was like so I said it to them I like I named it and then I was just like I can move on so that was like that was like momentary but I felt it for like maybe a day or two and then I said it and then I was laughing about it and I can move on Mm -hmm. and then um like so then she got she ate something off the street and she got really sick and we had to take her to the emergency room uh, the puppy emergency room and she's totally <laughs> fine. And it was just like a, they think it was marijuana, mm. um, which is like so scary. Cause you're like, Oh my God, is it going to fu- affect her brain function? So then like all the worry, like now when I walk her, it's like the incessant worry 
Um, and if God forbid anything happens to her, it's on my watch. Like she's an innocent little puppy. And there was also like, what came to me was that like, I kind of thought she like knew how to navigate the world. Like there was this right. unconscious belief that she would know more than me, which is like a theme that has played out through my entire life of like, oh, other knows more than me. And in this situation as the mom, I need to know more than her. Right. I do know more than her. And that's a role I've never had to play before. Um, and maybe as a coach, I do, but I never thought of it that way. Right. Um, but I really have to navigate her life and I have to keep her safe. And the other thing besides like a, a rec- coming to reckoning with my worry that I have, like I have this like chronic fear that Brett's going to die. Like, or like, I like, I, I like knowing his time frame when he's gone. And like, I really have to distract myself when he's gone. So, you know, and I, I'm like happy for him to go away. Like I'm an advocate. I'm not, I don't try to keep him in the house, but I am always, it's always in the back of my head. And like, mm-hmm. like he plays broom ball or used to play broom ball. And, um, he would finish his games at like between 10. So then I would sit there and I'd be like, okay, but he'll be probably be home around 11. So it's like 11.05. I'm a cool girl. 11.10. <laughs> I'm like, okay, where is he? I call like 11.11 and he picks up the phone. He's like, I'm not dead. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like 20 minutes. <laughs> um, and I just have to like calm myself down. And it's just this thing. And I mean, it was worse when we first started dating. Oh my God. I was like, is this what true love is? Like just knowing that someone is that you love is going to die. And I remember I had this friend Taryn on my travels and she said to me, true love is watching someone die. And it seemed very poetic and romantic, but it really fucking is like you're choosing to eventually like to walk into this life with someone, spend 60 years with them. And then like one of you is going to go Oh yeah, about death. Um, and then the, uh, the third thing that really came up for me or the fourth thing was that um, like children and dogs are not accessories and stop comparing to other people. So like my best friend just got um, a golden doodle and like, he's perfect. Like he's per- he's a perfect dog. Like he's six months old. He's walking around the whole house by himself. She doesn't have to worry about what he's picking up. Like he's just so good. He's really smart, well-behaved. And I'm like, I got this. And I'm walking around with Luna and I'm like, yeah, this is my dog. Come meet her. <laughs> I'm like, I literally am going up to everybody. I'm going up to like the garbage men. I'm going up to mailmen, um, like anybody. And I'm like, it, meet my dog. Like, I know it's going to make you happy. It's really good for her to socialize and really meet everybody. Um, and I just was like, this is my dog. And I'm like, no, this is a huge responsibility. And again, I am in charge of her life and I know better than her. And I have to like own that. Yeah. Really slow down, like really just slow down, which is not in my personality. Oh, there's one more thing that I learned. It's been a lot. (laughs) Um, I love it. Go for it. So um, research is, I love learning, but I don't love the act of researching Um, And it's probably because I don't feel like I know like the correct ways to look up things, but I think it's just, I have this block about researching and doing the work. And um, I did like probably like a C plus job and doing a lot of prep for, um, for Luna. And I mean, we bought all the right things, but in terms of training, I did like a pretty average job. 
And Brett did like a phenomenal job. So it got like really clear, like day four that like Brett was like really taking these principles and like putting them in. And I'm such a fast learner and I rely so heavily on being a fast learner and being intuitive that I like bypass the work that I had to do. And it actually ended up making me feel like shit. Mm. And Brett made a really good point. And he's like, you are so intuitive but you're relying on that, like go do the research and you'll feel so much better because, and that's like exactly with like money. It's like when you do the work, then you have freedom. Yep. Um, And it was like a really reckoning moment. There was a lot of moments of like, wow, check yourself. And then having to have that forgiveness and and compassion to myself. um, Cause you know, like I'm still like every, you know, let's say six, hours I'm exaggerating but like I'm thinking did I was was I the reason that Luna got sick you know like and just you have to move on you have to let go Mm -hmm. you have to accept you have to have compassion learn the lesson and then move the fuck on (laughs) yeah yeah it's like the first time can be about learning the second time can be about the outcome (laughs) exactly exactly which is uh exactly what happened to me with money but it was like the first hundred times or the lesson and then the hundred one time was (laughs) Yeah. What's the outcome? Uh, one of my uh, big rules in the course and with my clients is that um, setbacks aren't failures because yeah. there's that feeling that like I've come so far and then this happened. It's like I've come so far and then my bank hit me with a um, you know a fee. It's like right. nope. Learn the lesson and let's keep moving forward. And that's something that Brett is like, he, like he doesn't think about the past. He's yeah, all, he moves forward. He Me too. Forward. I'm such not. I'm like the the last, the least thinking about the past person of all time. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I yep. think we've talked about that before. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's a, actually I feel like I have a block and I don't want to talk about it. Oh, interesting. In some in some cases, like things that are easy to talk, like I don't know. There's some things that I'm totally fine talking about, but then if I, if somebody like with my therapist, she will constantly be like, and how did that feel? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm, I'm like, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what a time. Yeah. But I always think about the future. Mm. I think for me, the future was so, I like, the future was like, so black like there were events it was like my wedding mm-hmm. and my kids and it was like that and so I ha- I really work on like I've worked on adding color to my future but a big part of why I couldn't see my future is because of my finances because I couldn't see how I was going to pay for it how I was going to get those things that I wanted and it felt so debilitating so yeah. I was just so much more comfortable and also like my family like it's all the past. Like they cannot get out of their own way. And, and like my Nana, like she just only wants to talk about the past. She only wants to talk about the, the good old days when America was great and everything was wonderful. And my papa was alive and I totally get it, but you know, you have to keep moving forward. And um, that's something Brett and his mom are like so amazing at that I admire so much. And it really helps me just like keep moving forward. Cause it's not like it's not intuitive and it's in, it's just not how I was raised I was raised yeah. to keep looking back and you have to keep moving forward yeah I actually think my family is 
really stuck in the past as well both Mm. my grandmas and I think that does happen with age because you are more in your head and less like experiencing things but that doesn't have to be the case you know yeah um you can create you can create the life that you want for yourself but yeah every time I talk to my grandma it's like always talking about the past always 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 it's crazy yeah I don't want to be like that because it's exhausting yeah I think that's why it's presence is so important being present yeah I mean that is the, the key and also the hardest thing also you know it's really interesting something that you said you were saying that you couldn't see your future because you didn't know how you were going to pay for it and that's so funny to me to me because it's so logical like when I thought when I think about the future I don't there's no like logical part of it it's pure daydream I'll think Mm. of myself in 20 years like you know owning my own company and like being a bad bitch and that's that's but there's no it's like where's the where's the middle where you actually make it happen you know yeah, I think the reason why I became that way is because I did I did live in La La Land for so long. Like I thought I was going to be a famous actress and mm. but I didn't want to do any of the work to do that like at all. I mean, that's not true. Like I worked really hard. Like it was funny um I was talking to Brett um and he was like you never acted. And I was like, what are you talking about? I acted all the time. Like I was mm-hmm. in so many plays in college and in high school, I was always acting. My whole life was theater. I was totally into theater and acting and TV and like, and going on auditions and stuff in college. And he's like, I had no idea. I'm like, we've been together over three years. And I was like, I must just like, I don't, I, when I say I didn't want to do the work, I just, I guess it was like after college when I just was like, it was honestly nine months where I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to do the work that leads up to having to be a famous actress. Like I remember like having this reckoning of like, I don't want to sit in an audition room for 13 hours for um, a Dan and commercial. Yeah. That's not what I want to be doing with my life. Um, And, and I understand the want and need to do that for the Dan and commercial so that you can go do the thing that you really want to do off Broadway or, you know, be able to pay your bills. I didn't want to do that. Like yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's a sign right there. And that's something to listen to. Exactly. You know? um, but I guess we should move on to our topic for today. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess we can keep going on this. It's part. kind of all related, but it, it totally is Get a little um, more specific, you know? Yeah. So um, today we want to talk about um, depression and money and the holidays, as well as tapping into like ADHD and OCD when it comes to money. Um, We are by no means experts in this, but we can speak anecdotally from our own experience and just um, from the research that we have both done on the topics. Um, And it's, it's really astounding and really makes me upset that, um, that money and depression aren't more correlated because my depression was so intertwined to my beliefs and my financial situation, like unbelievable because yoga certainly helped me get out of depression in, in the sense that it gave me discipline and structure. And I was able to let go and gratitude, which is so important. And it taught me so much and it made me, it brought me into my body. I was so detached from my body. Mm -hmm. Um, And that helped me never have the depressions that I had prior to yoga. Like I had really bad depressions. Like I almost failed out of 
senior year of high school because my depression was so bad. Um, and I put on like 30 pounds, like it was horrible. And that was my first of three horrible depressions that like really, I mean, really fucked me up Yeah. Um, for a long period of time. But so much of getting my finances in order the was like releasing depression in because I felt in control and empowered. And like, I was walking yesterday and I was thinking about how pre-COVID I would take the train into the city um, to like for my friend's birthday. I went into the city and I'd buy myself a sweet greens and a Diet Coke and I would sit on the train or like um, I'd get a Chipotle and a Diet Coke and I'd sit on the train and how grateful, like how I can't even begin to tell you the joy that that made me feel because I could afford it. And it was such mm-hmm. a simple thing. It was like, it was a $37 train ride. It was a $13 lunch and a $150 diet Coke. And I could afford it because there was a period in my life when I couldn't. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we can go into like some of the findings but you know, there's so much, so many links, so much research on depression and money. Um, so, and anxiety and money. Oh yeah. So I mean, anxiety. I mean, we'll get into that in a second. Yeah. Cause yep. I, I mean, how could you not? Yeah. <laughs> um, Cause you're just like, when's the money? Where's it coming from? How am I going to deal with it? How am I going to manage it? Like, how am I going to figure but this not, out? Yeah. But not even like anxiety about money, but how, but having anxiety can lead to money issues in a lot of ways. Um, yep. I mean, yeah, we'll dive more into it, but like one example that jumps out at me is if you have social anxiety and you feel like you can't say no to friends and you don't have good boundaries, like that's going to directly relate to money problems because if you aren't being honest with your friends about what you can and can't afford and you can't say no, you're going to overspend and you're going to, um, yeah, you're just not going to be able to say no to things that you can't afford. 100%. I, um, I was just this, I was I, with Luna, I'm like introducing her to all these dogs. And there was a woman who like really did not want her dog to be, to meet Luna. And I was like, I always ask them like, can they play? And she was like, um, and then her <laughs> dog must've like intuitively picked up and ran away. And she's like, Oh, sorry. And I was like, Oh, I felt so bad because she was one of, she's a woman who like, can't say no, but like she yeah. didn't want it. And I felt, I didn't feel bad that I asked her. I just felt bad that she couldn't just be like, no. Yeah. Um, because you know, she doesn't want to be considered a bitch or like, she has to be nicer. That's just how she is. And you know, it's hard because I, you know, in the other way, like when you're like, oh, can they play? And the person's like, no, you're like, wow. But it's awesome. Cause they're like standing up for themselves and have boundaries and all that good stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know this, but like, you just can't be responsible for how people react to your boundaries. <laughs> if you no. learn about, if you learn anything from this podcast, like you stand your ground and how other people respond to that, it's their own fucking problem. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, so, so some, some, some stuff that I read was uh, one of the findings. So there was, there's an organization um, which is really freaking dope um, called, wait for it, Money and Mental Health Policy Institution. It's a UK based company and they're all about trying to create um, strategy for mental health with finances because 
You're yes, fine. I know. And it's like so unbelievable that they're not even more correlated because it's like your finances affect every aspect of your life. There's so mm-hmm. much people, there's so many people who end up homeless because of their mental illness. I mean, that's like the number one thing. It's like yep. homelessness is mu- like has it's money. Like it's not because they were really great with finances, but are, you know, schizophrenic. It's yeah. like, no, it's all interrelated and we don't have the tools to combat it. So they, so this finding from the, uh, it's called the money and mental health manifesto from 2019 was that the sufferers had difficulty dealing with certain routine activities, budgeting and money management being two of them because depre- depression affected functions such as working memory and focus, which is so true as someone who like, I don't have the, the depression like I did, but I have the, you know, the scars of depression, you know, they, they come about, especially when I'm, you know, low energy and I'm feeling sad or things happen. I can go into those dips. They mm-hmm. just are certainly are, they are not as low as they were. There's yeah. like a little blurt. Um, I can't think, I can't think clearly. I can't focus. Um, and it says, uh, the study said it also has a tendency to affect psychomotor functioning and our ability to plan and make decisions, which are all crucial in money management as well. Routine tasks that become much more difficult to overcome and eventually become insurmountable. So most people, because they don't have their finances in order prior to the depression that happens prior to um, the anxiety attack, when they're in the moment, they don't have any systems in place to manage and it, and it adds to that and it feeds that because you are in the heat of an experience or the down of an experience, um, like OCD, like having an episode, ADHD, anxiety, depression, and you have nothing to like put your feet down and settle yourself. And it just spirals out of control. And the stats are that uh, depressed people who are depressed are so much more likely to get themselves in credit card debt. Um, than someone who doesn't suffer with depression. Yep. Yeah, Um, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. What's crazy is in this study, they say, as a matter of fact, 95% of sufferers who were asked stated that they have a tendency to spend much more when ill. And I actually did a Instagram poll and I asked that question. I said, do you notice when you're in like a heightened state, a heightened emotional state, um, do you spend more? And they were all... It was a hundred percent. Yes. Oh yeah. That's what caused me to spend all that money on my grandma's credit card is because I was severely depressed mm. and just spending to try to make myself feel something. Yeah. It's just to fill. Yeah. It's yep. uh yeah. I, and also it affect, when you're in that heightened state of stress, like I've talked about it in a couple podcasts ago about like the nervous system and like the chemical reaction. I mean, your brain is not functioning like it should. So it's so important to like, because life is inherently difficult and things are going to arise. And there, well, there's two things that I, the points that I want to make. The first is that what I have found is that when you have systems in place, like yoga and financial, you know, literacy and financial control and stability, the, the highs and lows are not as intense. Yeah. I remember during my teacher training, my, the, during the 
part of the teacher training, he said, if you ride the highs, you ride the lows. And I have always thought about that because I was like, I don't want to ride the highs because the lows were so low. Right. And it was, it was spending like the last seven years working on that management of like, not letting it dip so high, like, you know, getting engaged and then going, you know, like it, in the past, it would have been like, I can't work for a week. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I wanted to just like revel in the high and it's like, okay, get back in, you know, like get mm-hmm. back into your normal life. And when you have these pillars in your life, like it, for me, it's, it, it had been yoga, it's movement. It's like having a practice that I could go to, um, for other people, it could be something else. That's their stability. That's their pillar. But having those, that stability makes the highs and lows more manageable. Yeah. And then also, sorry, uh, the idea is that if you can't control yourself, if you do spiral into a depression, or if you do have a period of severe anxiety that you don't put yourself in a bad position because you've already set yourself up in a way that hopefully you can overcome it because you have one less thing to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are really good points. I mean, I, yeah, it's, and the, the reason why those things can get really interrupted during the holiday season is because it's in, in a way it's completely breaking you out of that routine. And so it's really good to have those things to fall back on. So even if you take, you know, a break and you're with people who are overwhelming, you can come back to that really quickly. Um, but part of like the holiday season is that you are breaking those routines. You know, you're often going home, you're often drinking more, you're eating more unhealthily and all of those things contribute to feeling depressed, feeling anxious. And so, one way of combating that is like taking some time for yourself each day. And even if you're not going through the full routine that you've set up for yourself, like doing those small acts of self-care so that you feel like you are more in touch with those pillars that you've set up for yourself. Yeah. It's so interesting. I, th- I didn't think that's where you were going to go. I thought you were going to go into spending. Um, <laughs> well, I could have. <laughs> yeah, no, you totally could have. And I, I appreciate that because it's true. It's uh, you, you are thrown for a loop. I, um, I remember two years ago, I had like the worst period ever in January because I thought I was pregnant. Like, cause I was so, I was, it was so bizarre. My symptoms mm-hmm. were so weird. And then I was doing some research after and they were like, um, likelihood is you're going to have your worst period in January because of the amount of crap and, yeah. and lack of your routine and that you're doing. It was so true. I had just gotten to like three weddings. Like I, it was holidays galore. There was so much crap in the house and yeah, I, my body was yeah. feeling it it affects your body like more than people realize. Mm -hmm. And I mean, also like alcohol specifically is a depressant. So if you already have prone to depression or anxiety, and then you add on like all the extra alcohol and the unhealthy crap, not exercising, being around people that stress you out, it's it's just a lot. Like it's a lot. Um, Also it's the whole pressure from society is telling you that this is the time where you're supposed to be happy and joyful and having the best time ever. And that, you know, social media obviously adds to that and feeling like 
this is supposed to be the happiest time of the year. And so that increases that feeling of feeling like, oh, this is how I should be feeling. Why don't I feel this way? Yeah. Um, when I was doing research, I came upon this awesome article from the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And there's a perfect quote. They said, the holiday season beams a spotlight on everything that is difficult about living with depression. The pressure to be joyful and social is tenfold. Yeah. It's just like that sums it up right there. It, it really feels like there's no room for that mental illness or anxiety or sad feelings. It's like you're supposed to be always on a high. Yeah. I, um, up until Brett, I hated holidays so mm-hmm. much because of that and feeling less than and not feeling like I had a family union and not enjoying the holidays. I really didn't in- joy what I was doing during the holidays. I always was a source of contention. There was a lot of fighting. It was very, um, it sucked. The holidays really sucked. And I said to Brett, I was like, we're not celebrating any holidays. Like we're not celebrating, we're not celebrating Hanukkah. We're not buying each other gifts. We're not celebrating Valentine's day. And he was just like, eh, 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 not going to happen. <laughs> and he like, he, he literally like turned my Grinch heart around and he, because it, because all I I value family and friends and that's all I wanted to do on the holidays is just like be, and I love tradition. Like I love lighting the Hanukkah candles. Like yeah. I hadn't done that in years. This is the first year we're doing it every night. You know, I don't remember why we didn't do the first year is probably because I still was like, no, we're not doing it. I don't yeah. know. I wasn't fully into it. And like, I love ritual and I love, I love the really, really core values of religion. And I think that there's, and they can be so great, but I spent so many years in the dark. Like I spent like New Year's Eve alone. Like I've mm-hmm. spent like holidays alone, like in my room, like alone. And like, I have really good friends. It was like, I just couldn't, it just was so much tension and drama yeah. and fear and all of that stuff. And I couldn't make a decision. And I felt like, and there was a lot of expectations, like a lot of me putting expectations on other people when I was younger. So then when I got older, I was just more like, I was very comfortable being like, I don't care about holidays. Like I used to work holidays in the restaurant and whatever. I was like, whatever, it's fine. Um, I was like, I'll work holidays, but I'm going to take off, you know, 4th of July, Labor Day, Memorial Day. Yeah. um, Kind of thing. And uh, it really was such a source of like sadness for me. The, the holidays were really sad. Yeah. And I think a lot of people feel that way, but I, I think the expectations piece is so like crucial when we talk about this. And actually I think, or I'm hopeful that one silver lining of the pandemic is that people will drop a lot of those expectations. It doesn't need to, like the holidays don't need to be this like crazy showy time you know, like it, it's really just about reconnecting with your friends and family. And this year, maybe people can't have those giant celebrations. They do like a really small, tight knit holiday season with like super close friends. And I hope that people realize that maybe that actually feels a lot better to them because you are lowering those expectations and you get to just be and be present with the people that you love. And yeah. of course, there's going to be sadness around maybe not being able to, to see people that, but lowering those expectations and just allowing it to be more casual and not attaching all this hype to it and expectations, it will just go so far. Every article that I read that was like the number one suggestion, it was like, let go of your expectations. Yeah. It was, um, oh, my 
thoughts just went in a million places. But a lot of people <laughs> that I asked how their Thanksgiving was, like everybody went into Thanksgiving being like, oh, it's not going to be the same, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why do we always have to be so attached to the same? But I digress. Mm -hmm. But afterwards, I asked everybody how their Thanksgiving was. And a lot of people were really happy. They were like, this was great. You know, and it's funny, Susie Orman was like, we usually have 20 to 30 people in our house. And this was the best one we've had ever. Like, it was just so nice. And she's like, we FaceTimed in a way that we like, I FaceTimed my whole family. We've never done that before. Um, so people really like taking, making it their own, which is so hard to do when you're taught how to do things. Like you're like, well, this is how we do things. Yeah. This and there, it. yeah, there's this expectation around the holidays that you're also supposed to see every single person that you possibly can. And so for me, like the last couple of years, what I would do is, um, try to see Frankie's family and my family in like the two days of Christmas. And I realized after, well, I realized this, like, it's so funny every year I would make a promise to myself that I wouldn't do that again. And then every year I'd go back and do it. <laughs> Yeah. But it's just so tough because there's expectations from all these people that they want to see you and it's coming from a place of love and like you don't you do want to see them as well but for me I came out of the holidays being like that might have been fun for everybody else but it wasn't fun for me like this is not what I want for myself. Yeah. And so also like tuning into yourself and actually thinking like or asking yourself what would be best for me in this situation, not what would be best for my family, not what would be best for other people, but like what would make this holiday season feel really good and special for me. And if that's just like spending it with one person and that's going to make you happy, then do that. Do it. Yeah. It's hard because people take things personally, you know, like if you call your mom and you're like, well, I'm just not, you know, or your sister and your brother and you're like, I'm not going to come home. And they're like, why don't you want to see me? Like, and then mm -hmm. you're like, oh, and I am like an innate people pleaser. Like I go home to New York and I fucking burn myself out. Yeah. Like, I, yep. just, I just go and see everybody and it is, I'm running around and I am so tired of it. And COVID has been great for, and like, there was just something that happened on like this last trip to New York where I was like, I'm done. Like yeah. meet me halfway I'm making, I'm giving you one shot to meet with me. And if you can't, I'm not making it another time. Like yeah. it's not happening. Like this is it. And really like solidifying my schedule beforehand yeah. as opposed to trying to figure it out. I'm just like, yep, that's I it. Do the, I do the exact same thing though. I try to squeeze as many people as possible into my time. And it, it's true. It just ends up not feeling good for me. It's like, what's the point of even coming home if I can't enjoy time with my family or whatever the purpose was of my visit. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I normally feel really good. It's, I think what really got to me this time that I'm, it's just like the disrespect or not the disrespect, the, the lack of awareness of my reality, what I had to do in order to go see everybody, yeah. yep. everybody else. Like, I didn't appreciate that on a level that I haven't before. Cause I'm usually, I'm just so accommodating and, yeah. and I'm just like, I, if you can't get with what I'm doing in order to come be with you, then I don't want to come be with you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, going back to like mental health and, mm -hmm. um, and money. So, um, I read a couple of really interesting articles. Well, one going back to that study was that, the, oh, it was a, it was the same study. Yeah. They said 
it's a cycle of poor mental health means managing money is harder. Worrying about money makes my mental health worse. Yeah, it's it's so true. Cycle. And so then I read this really cool article about, not cool, I mean, it was just interesting perspective about OCD. Um, And what they were saying is like, yes, being in an episode, an OCD episode can cause you to spend money, but here's how specific types of OCD cause you to spend money. Um, So they were saying, if you are a, um, like a contamination OCD, then you are the most expensive type of OCD to live with because you spend so much money on cleaning products Mm -hmm. and your, and your water bill must be so high because you're constantly having to like, um, to shower and you might like get rid of clothes because you feel like they're contaminated. And Mm -hmm. so this is like the highest OCD spender. Um, there's also like the hit and run OCD. So this is, um, which I didn't know about people who are related, who have like issues with driving where they find themselves driving in circles just to make sure they didn't hit anybody. Mm, Interesting. Um, there's the OCD that's related to health, which is, um, if you are constantly in fear that you're something's wrong with you, like all the doctor visits and like all the, yeah. And, um, the just right OCD. So like this one was really interesting. So like you have to do everything perfectly, but in trying to do everything perfectly, you like you're late to work or you, you know, you are, don't show up to school on time. You, um, you could lose your job. You can lose your, you know, like they were just saying, I thought that was a really interesting perspective because I certainly have, I think feeling the need to be perfect and then just like not um, and then not even showing up. Yeah. Um, I, I don't feel that that's something that like I have now, but that's definitely something that I've worked on in the past. Um, yeah. let alone like when you're in that state of panic just in general, but I guess when you are feeling states of heightened states of OCD, it's not necessarily panic. I don't know. It doesn't feel like that for me. Does that, it doesn't feel like that for you. Um, well, my OCD diagnosis is specifically related to like intrusive thoughts. So I actually haven't, it's, this is like a relatively new thing for me. So I haven't really explored what that means for me with money, but OCD is under the general category of anxiety. So for me, like with anxiety and money, it was it's also a cycle there. Like you feel like anxious that anxious about your money situation. And then, but then you spend money because you're feeling anxious. So it's like this constant cycle. Yeah. When I, um, so when I am in the state of heightened anxiety or OCD tendencies, um, undiagnosed, but I, will compulsively add up money, like Mm. compulsively. Um, When I lived in Australia, I was beyond stressed about money, yet I would take a cab like every day because Mm -hmm. I was always running late to work. And I would sit there in the cab and I would write out my money and I would write out how many shifts that I needed, how many hours I needed to work and what the money was. 
and how much money I was going to make, how much money I had, how much money I would have, all my bills. And I would just compulsively do it over and over and over again. Like when I, and it was interesting because it's, I find that like when you have reactions like that triggers, they can be really great, like red flags in your own life because you see them and you don't know. And then you can be like, oh, I'm unhappy or, oh, I'm feeling stressed. And so I started doing that at the end of my, um, at working at yoga works where I would be adding up my hours and adding up my bonuses and adding up all this compulsively just adding up. And it was because I wasn't happy at my job. Yeah. And because you were trying to, the, the compulsion, what I understand from my therapist, again, not an expert on this, but like the compulsion is there as a tool to help make you feel better. Yeah. It's like what you turn to, to try to make everything okay. Yeah. But the problem is that one, that compulsion is not going to do anything, especially with your example of adding up money. Like that's not going to get you anywhere. That's not going to make me more money. No, (laughs) it's like, you're trying to get materialized money out of thin air. Yeah. Um, And the best thing to do is shift your perspective. In my opinion is shift your perspective and actually just try to manifest things like ask the universe to, to show you the best way to get somewhere. So like, try to take it out of your control, be like, Hey universe, I'm really feeling anxious about money right now. And I really want to put it out to the universe that I want to find like a second job or I want to find somebody who can help me like figure this out, whatever it might be. But it's like, that is the best thing for me. It's like releasing control of it and putting it out into an exterior force. I agree 100%. I always, um, I used to do this and I I have a lot of clients who, when they first start working with me, they have like 17 different bank accounts, like where they put all, they store all their money, like little, you know, um, uh, chipmunks, like putting all their things away. And I, um, I always am like, this is, this is like your desire to be in control, but you actually are not doing anything except causing yourself so much more anxiety and you're not growing wealth. And so like, it's about like consolidating and bringing it all together and like being Mm -hmm. like, this is the picture because what you do is it gives you that, that mind game that like, oh, well, I'm going to think about this money and I have this money for this and this money for that. And you feel like you're in control and you're not, it's controlling you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, getting, getting those all together, that's like a really simple step for people when I'm like, what can I do? It's like, put all your money together so we can actually see the big picture. Oh yeah. That is, yeah. It's just like a simple organization and being able to like see everything because the more like cards that you have and the more places you have your money, the more overwhelming it's going to feel because it just is more complicated inherently. Money is meant to make you feel safe and secure. And that's it. You know, you don't even need a lot of money to make you feel safe and secure. You don't need to make a lot of money to feel safe and secure. You just need to know how to manage your money. Exactly. Yeah, that's the the key of the whole the whole thing. That whole <laughs> chestnut. The key of the thing of the that, you know. <laughs> um, it's it's really that it, you don't need a ton of money. You just yeah. need to know what to do with the money that you have yeah and not overspend um yeah another thing i want to say about depression is our favorite topic which is gratitude um i was watching big mouth season four and the last love that show it's so good (laughs) and the last episode 
is amazing. And I like, I'm yes. about like making my course participants watch it because it's so powerful because it's a little girl and she has her gratitude. Yeah. And spoiler <laughs> and alert. Spoiler alert. And it's Zach uh, Galifianakis's voice. Oh, that's so funny. It's, and he's the gratitude and it's just the most perfect thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I love it. I didn't realize it was Zach Galifianakis. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, um, and, yeah. Um, and she is working through depression and she is like, oh, I helped. I'm hating. So talk about projection. She's hating Nick for the same reasons that she's struggling herself. And when she has, when she becomes empathetic towards Nick, only then can she feel better about herself. And it was like, I couldn't even, I was so grateful. I mean, obviously these writers are brilliant and it's not a children's story at all. It's like clearly for adults. Yeah. Oh, it's, (laughs) it's very much for adults. (laughs) Yeah. It was just really, um, it, it, gratitude can, has, helped me in because it, it gives me a pebble forward like yeah. it's like I was talking to someone recently and I was like this isn't going to make you feel better right now like mm-hmm. you're in a really bad place like this is not going to make you feel better today by saying the three things that you're grateful for but it's a pebble forward exactly. to remind yourself so that you have something to step on when you're walking out of the tunnel of darkness yeah um, yeah, if somebody had told me like, oh, just just be grateful, like, and I'm sure I heard it during the times where I was struggling the most, I would have been like, I hate you. Don't ever say that to me ever again. But now looking back, I can recognize that that was one piece of the puzzle that allowed me to move forward and something, it's honestly just something you can always fall back on. Like when you're feeling really, really shitty, you can just be like, okay, I feel terrible right now, but like, let me take a step back and just take stock of my life. Like I have a roof over my head. Yeah. I have a loving partner. I have a supportive friend. I have a parent, whatever it is yeah. for you. Like, especially in the culture in the U S I feel like we're constantly being bombarded with abundance and all these things that you need in order to make yourself happy. And it's like, actually, let's just go back to the basics and recognize that most people in this country have it way better than most people around the world. And it's like, just go back to the basics and recognize that at a very basic level, you're very, very lucky. Yes. Yeah. And there's always something that you can pick straws. Cause it's true. Like when Brett would ask me in the throes, like when I was like really struggling with like, you know, it was hard getting my finances in order. It wasn't easy. This was tough work. And I would sit in these moments of despair and he'd be like, what are three things you're grateful for? And I wanted to punch him. Like I was so, I I was like, no, don't make me do it. Don't make me, it was like poison. Yeah. And then you say it and it's like, you don't immediately feel better, but like the next day it's a little easier and the next day a little easier. And then all of a sudden you come back to yourself. Like we are so addicted to in life in general we're addicted to wanting to go up we're addicted to wanting to feel up and when we feel down it scares us and it's like if you're addicted to the up you're gonna feel the down so it's like so what happens is when so many people when people are so happy or like in a good state they're like I don't want this to change like Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna like carpe diem like live my life I don't want to deal with my finances I don't want to deal with my shitty relationships I don't want to deal with 
that, that thing that's been bugging me for the last six months, mm-hmm. I'm not going to deal with it. And then it all starts to crash down. And then they're like, Oh, I have to deal with all this stuff. How am I going to do it? Da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. And it's learning really. It's like homeostasis, right? I mean, that's the key. I, I, I mean, there are clinic, there are people with clinical depression, anxiety, OCD, ADHD that need medicine and, and they need support. We're not talking about that because we can't, we're not qualified to talk about that, but we're to, to people who have suffered with it, to people who are suffering with it, but still feel that they don't need those resources. There are things that you can do in your day to day, such as finding routine, um, finding a sense of normalcy so that you can have homeostasis um, and taking action. That's so key. It's, you have to take action. Yeah. I mean, yeah, spoiler alert, but I take anxiety, depression medication and my goal for my life for myself is that I don't, but that's just not where I am right now. And even like that is only a really small piece of the puzzle. Like you have to be doing these other things so that you have another way of supporting your mental health. Like taking medication is not going to solve all your problems because the root cause of the issue is still there. And so you have to do these other practices so that one, you could eventually come off of the medicine and have something to fall back on. And two, you're supporting yourself in other ways. Because I think a lot of people just turn to medication and think it's going to solve all their problems. And it's absolutely not. Like you still have to examine the root issues and little things like gratitude, daily practice of like writing down what you're grateful for is going to be something that you can continue to fall back on whether or not you're taking medication. Yep. I totally agree. And also like a sense of accomplishment, like that's not something a pill can give you. Like, Mm -hmm. like taking those, um, I love, um, the Tony Robbins quote, we overestimate what we can accomplish in one year and underestimate what we can accomplish in 10 years. Oh Yeah. Um, and I think that comes back to, again, like that whole blockage of the future. It's for so many people who suffer with depression and it's that feeling that like, well, I'm stuck here. That feeling of stuck. It's like actually mm-hmm. a physical feeling in the body that you can't even move. Like, yeah. you're, like, I remember for so long there, like moving was like, I was pulling myself out of, out of like murk. Yeah. You know, it didn't feel like, and like, I was like airy. It felt yeah heavy and dank and dark it feels heavy af (laughs) yeah and but like having those like momentary accomplishments momentary accomplishments having like monetary accomplishments where you can look down and you can see change you can see progress you can see uh because you are the i think the i the concept it's easier to follow right because when you decide you're going to take control over your life and you are responsible for your life. Yeah. And there's like, Oh shit, I can do anything. I mean, if you're like me and like you are Jack of all trades, like I could do anything. Like I can go be, you know, an evolutionary biologist or I can go, mm-hmm. you know, like da 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 Here are my million ideas of all the things that I can be and like choosing, making choice about the one thing you want to do is so powerful, but it can take so long to get there. It's really tough. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's part of the part of why transitioning out of college is so difficult because you've had all, you've had set steps for your life and all of a sudden you're just thrown out into the world Yeah, and it's can feel really stressful. It's just like the paralysis of choice. But I do think 
Um, another like tidbit from the subtle art of not giving a fuck is he talks about how important it is and how rewarding it can feel to nurture something long term. And it's like making a choice and actually nurturing that is is more rewarding than experiencing every single little thing that that life can throw at you. And like it's important to do that too. Like you want to travel, you want to see the world, you want to have those experiences, but actually like living in one place for an extended period of time, there are rewards that you get from that or like having a long-term partner. There are rewards that you get from that that you simply cannot get from like small experiences that are long-term. Yeah, they're fleeting. Like that's, it's just a wonderful point. I know that, I know for me, that's so intrinsically true because I was a, I was a a wandering Jew for a very, very long time. (laughs) Since I was a child, I've been a wandering Jew. I, all of my friends' parents would call me the wandering Jew because I would just show up with my backpack of shit and I would come over for dinner and I'd be sleeping over for the weekends. And I've been doing that since I was 12. And I actually started my first sleepover when I was four. Like I've always been a wandering Jew. And then when I, it like makes sense that I went and traveled the world for two and a yeah. half years wandering around. And even when I came home, I was always like sleeping at friends' houses and doing this and like always wandering and yeah. building and I, I did amazing, cool things, but I was so depressed during them and having stability and roots for me is like been the, the greatest time of my life. Yeah. Like the simplicity of my life is, I mean, celebrating Shabbat on Friday nights with my fiance, like is like ending the week, you know, having a sacred moment to end the week, like radical accept it like just slowing down for me of my healing for me yeah I think simplicity is like one of the keys to life at least for me that might not be the case for everybody else but I feel like and honestly it really helped me with my money because I I really started to look at the stuff all around me and I was like this is all just crap and I don't want to have all this stuff around me I don't want to like the more I do in the the more like things that I acquire the more stressed out I feel Mm. and it's like I actually what I what really helped me is actually having less wanting less doing less like those are the things that actually really helped with my not only depression and anxiety but also my finances because I, I wasn't constantly buying stuff I actually like organized myself took stock of what I had and realized I actually had everything I needed and I yeah. just stopped purchasing isn't that such a radical feeling like that was the yes. same same for me like when I when I made that decision I, I was like I'm done I'm done going out Thursday Friday Saturday night yeah like, yeah exactly I don't want to be hung over for yeah. like anymore I want to feel good I want to feel accomplished. I want to feel like I'm moving forward with my life. Like exactly. God, I, I, yeah. So it's a really fascinating conversation. And I, I hope that we can bring some experts on the show to, to really talk about it and dive into it and how it really can, uh, and ways to combat it and ways yeah. that we can help people and support people. I think the last thing I want to say, um, is that, um, accountability and support is key, like having support, um, and look around in your support system. And if there are not people there who are advocating for your wellness when you're in the darkest places in your life, then you need to look for support elsewhere. Yeah. Um, 
if it's a therapist, if it's a coach, I mean, I worked with my life coach through my entire, like my, from mid mid twenties to 30. Yeah. I had, I had support from my life coach. Um, and she was like all about transitions and she was amazing. Deb Roth. It's just like, you don't have to do everything by yourself. Like that's the point of coaching is that you can actually have somebody there to support you and hold you accountable, set deadlines for you. Like these things, people feel like they have, they're like expected to do them as an adult and like know how to manage everything. But like, that's not the reality of life. It's really hard to do everything yourself. And so one of the best things I think you people can do for themselves is invest in a coach, a therapist, whatever you need for yourself in order to not try to just hold everything and manage everything yourself. Like there are people out there who are ready and available to help you and hold you accountable. Yep. I agree. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say as we wrap up this episode is just a reminder to everybody to reach out to your friends, check in with your family members during this time, especially with the holidays coming up. And on top of that, we have a pandemic, like just take the extra second to, to check in. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I just want to piggyback on what you were saying, because if you're feeling unhappy or depressed or you're struggling right now, feeling really stressed, the most, the easiest way that you can help yourself is to call a friend or family member and ask mm-hmm. them about themselves and like really check in with them because it's going to make you feel really good that because they're going to feel good from you just reaching out to check in on them. And it gets you out of that spiral. Exactly. It gets you out of your own spiral. Like whenever I'm Mm -hmm. feeling really sorry for myself, I'll like text five of my friends and just be like, how are you? And I'm checking with them and it makes me just be present and plugged in to somebody else. And then I'm like, Oh, I can move on with my life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good tool. Yeah. So Amelie, what are um, three things that you're grateful for? I am grateful for my health, my family, and my partner. Oh. What about you? (laughs) I am grateful for, I was going to say whether you asked me or not. Well, yeah. I mean, I I was just sitting thinking about what I just said. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that. That's what gratitude will do, people. Um, yes, I would like to know what you're grateful for as well. I'm grateful for, um, the amazing park. That's like two blocks away from my house. That's so clean. And I, and the people that clean it, um, and it's like a volunteer program and I, I see them all the time. Like, I'm just really grateful for that. (laughs) Anybody who cleans their garbage and doesn't litter. Um, I'm extremely grateful for my home, um, it's, I just can't believe I've lived here two years and it's been a part of my life for three years and just my home with all my things. I just feel really blessed. Um, and I'm grateful for, um, I'm grateful for my family and, uh, and yeah, I'm going to go talk to my niece and wish her happy Hanukkah now. Oh, so cute. Yeah. I love it. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks for listening to Everybody's Bad With Money. This podcast was presented by Beyond the Green Coaching. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and check out our website, beyondthegreencoaching.com. We offer private couples and group coaching. If you're interested, please don't hesitate to reach out. 
Yes, and we have a course starting January 5th. Don't forget, feel free to check it out and DM us for more information. Bye. Bye.